All right, so uh, the, the title of the message today is The Truth About the Truth. So uh, you guys can, if you guys are taking notes today, uh, The Truth About the Truth. Uh, so what are we talking about today? We're talking about the Bible. Um, I know it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're talking about the Bible, it's church. No, we're talking about what, what is this thing and, and why can we trust it and what does it say about itself? And so the, really the, the goal today, the, the focus will be upon the Bible, uh, how can we trust it and what, is, what does it say um, about itself and what, what kind of book this is. And so, but uh, I want to start off just by giving you guys a few different kind of tips and tricks and things to know uh, when you come to the Bible and uh, in this way, this type of Bible study. Um, but I just want you guys to know that there is something called the table of contents, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Uh, mind-blowing, right? Table of contents. But I want you guys to know that this is a place that you can go to. That as we come throughout the studies the next year or so, and, we, uh, and for you, your church life, for the rest of your life, people are going to say, hey, turn to this book. Uh, maybe you're not super familiar. Well, you can turn to the table of contents, and it can show you directly. And it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's nothing weird. Um, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's okay to go to the table of contents and to kind of figure out what book, right? But as you guys notice, if you were to turn to the table of contents, uh, the, the, the Bible is comprised of two different testaments, right? We know the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so you guys know that, um, but just want you guys to be aware that even though the Old Testament is old and the New Testament is new, uh, the Old Testament is still very much relevant, that we still need it. And, it, and there is huge um, chunks of truth and, and foundations of our faith within the Old Testament but the whole thing speaks of Jesus, that you could turn to the table of contents and see from Genesis all the way to Revelation, but never forget that the entire Bible always points to Jesus. It always points to Christ. Um, there is a, a little thing that I just want you guys to write down, um, but we see in the Old Testament, we see that Jesus is predicted. That in the Old Testament, how, how do you see Jesus? Well, you see him in a way that he's predictive, uh, predicted, that he's prophesied out. About He's told that he is going to come. And so in the Old Testament, we see that he is predicted. In the Gospels, we see that he is revealed. Uh, Haley, you can go two slides over, and it shows it. Um, we see that in the Gospels that Jesus is revealed, meaning that we, see, we know about his life through it. Um, in the Acts, we see that Jesus is preached. In the epistles, or you're like, what the heck is an epistle? It's a letter. Uh, there's different letters, right, that Paul or various people wrote uh, to different churches and to different people. We see there that Jesus is explained. And in Revelation, we see that Jesus is uh, expected, that he's expected to what? To return. That we know uh, from the book of Revelation, amongst others, that Jesus is coming back. And so it's just a short little key just for you to kind of see and know, okay, yeah, this is, this is the Bible, that every piece of it is about Jesus, even the Old Testament. Uh, especially the Old Testament, talks all about the, the coming Messiah and, and all that good stuff. And so just something for you to know. Remember, this is a, just some different things for you to know. Uh, so table contents, right, you guys are familiar with that. And the ch what about the chapter and verses? You can keep that on, this, on the slide for a little bit longer, Haley. Um, but today I want to I share with you guys just about some, the chapter verses and chapter numbers. Sorry, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers. There you go. I'm going to mix it up. Uh, Turn to, turn to any book in your Bible. Turn to any book. You guys see the big numbers, right? You guys see the small numbers? Yeah, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. So if someone were to say, turn to, to James chapter 5, verse 2, then you'd go to the big number, and then you'd find the small number, which I'm, I'm confident that most of you guys know, uh, but it's okay if you don't. Uh, 
the big numbers are the chapter ones, and the smaller ones are the verse numbers. But these, I just want you to know, they're not authoritative, meaning they're not from, from God necessarily. That uh, when, when these different books of the Bible were written, they didn't write them in chapter numbers. That when the book of James was written to uh, the Hebrews, to the, to the church there, that it wasn't, uh, they didn't have chapter numbers and verse numbers. It was just a letter. But later on in the 13th century, in the 16th century, uh, they put it just solely for our convenience. So it's just, just something good to know. Um, so chapters, verses, and then also context. Uh, context is key. You guys can never forget this, that uh, when we come to the Bible, that you can't just take a verse and say, uh, this is what it means. You have to take it within its whole chapter, whole context, and that's why it's so important that when we come to the Bible, it's important to start at the beginning of a book and then go all the way through. That's why you, you guys will see in the coming months, uh, we'll pick a book and we'll start in verse chapter one, verse one, and we'll go all the way through. And this is how it should be in your own Bible reading. That we hope you guys are reading your Bibles, uh, but within your own Bible reading, there can't be what we call Bible roulette. Does anyone know what Bible roulette is? Yeah, it's when, it's when you come in the morning and you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm gonna spend some time with Jesus. And so you turn and flip through the page and you're like, okay, yes, this is where I'll start today. And then the next day you'll, you do the same thing. Guys, I wanna encourage you, pick a spot and then go all the way through. And you might say, I, I know a lot of, I talk to you guys, a lot of you are like, well, I just don't know where to start. I don't know where to read my Bible. I just don't, I, I want to, but then I, I get there and I kind of just don't know where. Well, a, a great place to start is in the book of Matthew. Uh, the book of Matthew just speaks all about the life of Jesus. And there's 20, 28 chapters, but you're like, wow, 28 chapters, that sounds like a lot. No, the chapters are like half a page or a full page long. It's not crazy. It's different than from like a novel. Just start in the book of Matthew and just start in verse one and read all the way through and you'll see the life of Jesus and, and God will do amazing things. Or a, a smaller book, maybe you can start in the book of Philippians and you start chapter one, verse one, and you just go all the way through. It's just four chapters. It's like two pages long and our two or three pages long uh, within our Bibles. And so start there, uh, but do not play Bible roulette. Why? Because have you ever watched, come and watched a movie halfway through? Maybe your parents are watching movies, so you come downstairs and they're like, and you're like, I'm so lost. This makes no sense. Why? Because you start it halfway through. You don't have the full context of the movie, right? And that's why it's so important as we come to God's word, it's not gonna make a lot of sense to us if we don't know the context. And so uh, the other thing is knowing the books. Uh, if you guys don't, like what we were talking about before at the table of context, uh, if you guys don't know the books, just start to get to know them. Go home today and look through uh, the table of contents and just kind of get familiar. It's, it's good to familiarize, uh, familiarize ourselves with God's word. Um, but just a couple ways, there's a couple different, you know, cool little acronyms uh, like Go Eat Popcorn, stands for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians within the New Testament. Uh, there's one I heard the other day um, that it was uh, God's excellent love never dies, and that's how you can remember the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that's kind of cool. God loves, God, God's love never dies. So there's little things like that. You guys can even look them up online or whatever. But fifthly, note-taking. Just for you to know, note-taking, we're, we're always encouraging you guys. Why are we always telling you, oh, go get pens. Go get notebook paper. Why do we care? Why do we want you guys to take notes? Well, over a course of a year here, and you'll be spending hours here over the next year, there'll be 100 services that you come in and out of, potentially, if you, if you go to Sunday and Wednesday. 50, if not, that's a lot of time to devote to something, and we want to make it count. When you're here, we want you to be invested, and, and we don't want you to waste your time. 
and God wants to speak to you. And, and one of the ways that he wants to speak to you is, is through his word, obviously. And when you take notes, you're just going to be able to focus better. You're going to be able to understand, and it's, and it's going to help with your comprehension. Who gets distracted easily? Yeah, I, I know I do for sure. You know, you're thinking and you're listening to the guy, you know, at the sermon, listening to Pastor Jack, and you're like, I'm really hungry. In-N-Out sounds good. Oh, I did have In-N-Out that one time. But they got my order wrong. That was weird because In-N-Out never does it, right? And, you, and your mind starts to go here, this and that, and, it, and it's crazy. But note-taking, I'm telling you guys, really helps. And, it, and there's studies and there's research proving that it just helps to get you focused. Uh, who, who comes to church a little tired sometimes? Yeah, all of us, for sure. It helps with that. It helps kind of get you engaged and focused. And it helps, it actually helps to stick, to get it in your heart. There's a verse, uh, Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this is talking about different things as we take in scripture that we're to hide it in our heart. But the only way that we're gonna be able to hide it in our heart is if it sticks in our brain. If we are able to understand and note taking as maybe you're like, oh, I don't like taking notes. Try it. God will be able to do a greater work through note-taking. That might sound really silly or simple, but he, he will because you're writing about God's word and it's gonna be able to stick. And so uh, that's just for you guys, just for you to know. But as we come to the Bible um, today, how can we trust it? What is this thing? I mean, think about it. Think about how, what a place it has within, within the life of a believer, that we come to church and we hear the Bible, that we're told to go home and read the Bible and read the Bible, read the Bible, what, what is it? Well, you guys know it's, it's to point us to the Lord, that it's, it's his way of communicating with us, but how do we know it's actually God's word? Have you ever heard maybe the claim of, uh, you know, it was written by man and so we can't trust it, or it's been changed over the years so we can't trust it? How do we know that, how can I stand up here confidently and teach you guys and talk to you about God's word and knowing that this is from God? Well, uh, there's all kinds of different uh, evidences and arguments and all these different things that, that are out there that, that point to the evidence and the trustworthiness of the Bible. But I want to give you guys just kind of a condensed version, okay? And there's two, uh, two phrases to easily kind of uh, bring back to memory. The number, number one uh, is inside the Bible. So we're going to look at three different things of how we can look inside the Bible and see how it's actually God's word, and we can trust it. So we're gonna look inside the Bible, but we're also gonna look outside the Bible. There's a, few, a couple different things that we'll do and we'll look outside the Bible. But all these things point to that we can trust that this is God speaking to us. How? Uh, number one, right, we'll look inside the Bible. We'll look how there are no errors or contradictions. What do I mean by that? It is absolutely perfect. That you can't go and, and see Genesis chapter eight, verse two, and that's not gonna contradict Revelation chapter three, verse three. That they perfectly go together, that the unity within the scriptures is something that's amazing. And you're like, well, I've read other books and they probably don't have any contradictions. I've read other books and they don't have errors. That's probably true. There are, I'm sure, books out there that are, maybe don't have any errors or contradictions, that there is nothing wrong with it within a truth sense. However, there is something very unique about the Bible, that though it's, we call it the Bible, which is, you know, it's one book that we carry around, how many books are in here? Quite a few, 66, right? There's 66 different documents. And so there's 66 different documents written by a, over uh, just about 40 authors written over a period of 1,500 years. That's 1,500 years. There's th it was written on three different continents and in three different languages. 
And what's talked about in the Bible are big issues like life and death, right? Are there a lot of debate about, about where you go when you die? There's a lot of debate out there, right? Some people say nothing happens. Some people say you, you get transformed into a bird or something weird like that. Or what about uh, where we come from? There's a lot of debate on where we come from. There's a lot of different discussions and, and people have different opinions. Yet with this many different people riding over a huge period of time, over huge dis- distances from different backgrounds and different cultures that we can read this book and it's perfect. That one idea about God does not contradict the other. That we could read the, read the first book of the Bible that was written, which was Job. Job was the first uh, book written that we know of. And we can see and go through it, and that doesn't contradict the last book that was written, which we know as Revelation, I think. It doesn't contradict each other. That It's absolutely perfect. It's awesome. And so we can trust it because there's nothing else like it. And so number, number one, that it's, it's absolutely perfect. Number two, uh, the, all the different prophetic fulfillments. You're like, what, what is a prophetic fulfillment? That's kind of two big words. I don't want to know. This is weird. No, it's awesome. Stick with me. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 says this. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. That God can say to us today through the, the book of Isaiah, you want to know how I am God and, and how that you can trust my word? It's by that I say things that have not yet come. That I say things and I tell about the future. That God is the only one that can do that. God is the only one. And we see, and I'm not going to go through it today with you guys, but you guys can look it up on your own or come ask me some questions and I can give you guys a few different resources. But there are hundreds of of prophetic fulfillments, meaning that God said this is gonna happen before it actually happened, and then when it gets there, it actually happened. Because all kinds of different things about Jesus, which um, I hope you guys are familiar with, about how, where Jesus was gonna be born, uh, all kinds of different things. Uh, his, different, his different lifestyle, how he would grow up, and uh, how he would be treated on the cross, and there's all these different prophetic fulfillments, but also all kinds of other things as well that the Bible gets right. And so, we can trust that it's God because he proves it. He proves through his word. And number three, uh, the scientific accuracy and foresight. That, that we can look at the Bible and there's countless, and they're just coming out with more and more as we, as we make new discoveries within science and technology, that the Bible had it right all along. That we know things now that 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or even 100 years ago, we didn't know that were true or we didn't know how they worked. But our recent advancements in technology and science have allowed us to be able to go into the world, into space, and, and realize the depth of, of creation and, and seeing all these different details. And the Bible had it right all along. That for so many years, right, uh, what shape did people think the earth was? Flat. flat. You know, the Bible said before, before the scientific discovery of like, okay, this is not flat. Years and years before, they, the Bible said... Uh, God said that he sits above the circle of the earth. This, the word circle, it talks about a spherical uh, a term. That God knew it, that the Bible knew it. And so he said it, that how could, how could these different authors know? It was only by the inspiration of God. Or the fact that un, the universe had a beginning. That's now a scientific fact that, that everyone uh, would agree with if they had any level of um, education. That, that, that it's, it's non-debatable now that the universe had a beginning. And what's Genesis 1-1? 
in the beginning, God created that. There was a beginning, yet the Bible knew. What about um, how there are innumerable amounts of stars that they came at one time and, and people thought that they could count all the stars, that they could look up in the sky, okay, there's about 1,000 or some people thought 2,000, yet the Bible knew that the stars were innumerable. Who, did anyone help out VBS this week? Yeah, it was all about creation this week and, and they talked about some of these facts that the Bible knew it the whole time. And so this is why we can trust it or the fact that, that hum, the human body was made out of dust that we now know that's, that's a scientific fact, or that air has weight, that all these different things the Bible pointed to. And so these are just a few of the reasons that we can trust it as we look inside of it, that it's absolutely perfect from cover to cover, that has all these types of, of foresight and accuracy that there's no way someone would guess. Maybe one, but how many hundreds and hundreds of scientific discoveries that the Bible said this is how it is? Because guess what? God created everything, and so he knows. And so do you think in his word that he could say this is how it works? Yeah, and he did. And yet there's been no scientific discovery that's pointed against the Bible. That they're never like, oh, this, this, we figured this out, and the Bible says this, and so this doesn't make any sense anymore, and the Bible's wrong. No. Time and time again, it's just pointed to that the Bible is legit. And so we look inside the Bible, but we also can look outside the Bible. That there's a couple different ways that we can look outside the Bible and see uh, if we can trust it or not. There's a guy named Nelson Gluick. He was an archaeologist. Uh, he's one of the most famous ones and greatest of all times. And he wrote this in Time Magazine. All right, listen to it. It says, no archaeological discovery has ever overturned a biblical reference. Not one. Scores of archaeological Findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. That one of the most famous archaeologists to ever live could say this, that the Bible has been right time and time again. And there's never been a discovery that's, oh, you know, we saw this and so this, uh, this discludes the Bible. You guys know what archaeology is? Yeah, it's when they, you know, unearth things and, and they dig into the ground of centuries past and they're able to pull up history. The Bible has been true every single time. There's, you guys know about a guy named David in the Bible? Yeah, you guys familiar with him? We're, we're going through that on, on Wednesdays, the life of David. But for years, people thought David was not a real king, that they would laugh and scoff at the Bible and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you Christians actually believe that. David never lived because there was no, uh, there was no evidence of that outside of the Bible. And so for years, people would make fun of the Bible. Yet, uh, within 1993, um, in Israel, there was a 3,000-year-old inscription that was found showing David to be the king of Israel. That again, the Bible was proved right. Uh, Pontius Pilate, do you guys know about a guy named Pontius Pilate? Yeah, it was amazing. I got to, I got to be in Israel. Uh, I got to live there for three months. I, went, I, went to, I got to do a Bible college semester over there. And all the different things that I saw, uh, they, they unearthed all kinds of different artifacts and different things that just pointed to the validity of the Bible. And one of them I saw was in a place called Caesarea Maritime. Everyone say that, Caesarea Maritime. It just means Caesarea was the name of the, of the place, but then Maritime means it was by the sea. And so it's, it's right on the seashore there of the Mediterranean. And um, this was a port uh, for when, when Rome was in charge, that they named it this city. And when Rome was in charge 2,000 years ago, when Pontius Pilate was around, they had this port. 
and, and all kinds of trading would be done through it, and they had a huge theater. And, and, when, and when unearthing and, and finding and digging up all these different things from the city, uh, in, I think it was only in, okay, it was 1961 that they found, and I've seen it myself, the, the actual one, they found this huge limestone. Uh, limestone is a type of rock, uh, but it was, it was about this high to the, to the floor and about, about this wide, and it has an inscription on there. And for years, people thought, Pontius Pilate, if, if, he, was, if he had as much power as, as he did within Judea, there would be some kind of historical evidence. And so people would make fun of it. Yet, when they found this, it, it pointed exactly to who Pontius Pilate was, that he was uh, a governor of Judea at that time, and the timing was perfect. And again, again and again, the Bible is proved right. And so that's a lot of different facts. That's a lot of different things. But I want you guys to see and I want you guys to be able to know that what we believe is legit, that it's not some fairy tale, that it's not some mystery, that we can trust it. And that's why when you guys go home and you read God's word or you come here to church and you read God's word, you can know that this is from God, that there's nothing that has disproved it. No matter what you might hear, no matter what you might see on the internet, when you do the right research, this is perfect. This is awesome. And so uh, we see that, that, in, that we can look in the ground, that we can look in the ground and it points uh, to the Bible. But also the second thing outside the Bible that we can look at is all the different, uh, what we could call on the pages, that all the different manuscript evidence. And you're like, what the heck is a manuscript? Anyone know? What's a manuscript? Yeah. A document for sure. It's any uh, handwritten document be prior to the printing press. Does anyone know what year the printing press came out? No, less. You don't know? Danny in the back. No, it was 1455 that it came out. And so there's all these different manuscript evidence. And what, what am I talking about? That people copied down and copied down everything that was here. That it wasn't just told, and it was kind of like this fairy tale, right? It was told from generation to generation. No, these things were written down, and we have so much proof for it. Uh, that you can have confidence because of the different manuscript evidence that we have, because of all the different copies, that the Bible you hold in your hands, that the Old Testament is the same Old Testament that Jesus had. That the Old Testament is the same Old Testament that Paul had. And we can trust that. And the New Testament, we can trust, was, this, was the, the letters that Paul wrote. We can trust those are the actual letters because of all this different ev evidence. It's awesome. And so we can see in the ground and on the pages. And so what's the whole point? You can trust it. I'm telling you guys, I've, I've, I can tell you from my experience, from my, from my research of this, from, from reading it from front and cover, this is not just a normal book. And you guys are going to have to do the research for yourselves, that, that you guys will grow up and you'll have different questions thrown at you. You'll have different things thrown at you saying, oh, the Bible's not true or it's irrelevant. No, it's extremely relevant and it's the, it's the exact vehicle or vessel that God uses to speak into your life. So yes, he uses the Holy Spirit to impress things upon your heart, but the main way that God wants to speak to you, you wanna hear from God, read his word. He has things to tell you, and, he'll, and, and we'll see that in a second. And so that's the, all the evidence. I'd love to talk with you guys if you have questions or like, how is the Bible even like, how did they even know which books to put in the Bible? Come and talk to me. I'd love to talk with you about the, all that stuff. But I want you guys to know there is answers to your questions. If you guys do have questions about like, well, I don't, I don't really know if this is actually like God's word. Let's talk, and, and we'll go through all those different things. But uh, very quickly, I want, I want to give you guys just seven things that the Bible says about the Bible. Seven things that, that we can look to Scripture and that we can know 
about uh, this book, how it was written. Number one, I will see that God used people. Number one, that God used people. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, meaning you can't go and say, this verse means this to me, that there is only one truth that God intended through his word. And it says, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That as we come to Scripture, that uh, it can't mean one thing to me and then one thing to you and then one thing to her and then another thing to him. That there is one truth and you and I, what, what is our job? is to come to the Bible and find that truth. That when I do different Bible studies, I come and I figure out what, what is God trying to say through this passage and then I share it with you guys. But the thing that can be different is its application. You guys ever heard the verse, honor your father and your mother? You see, that verse will apply to you differently than it will apply to me. Why? Because you're under your parents' uh, direction, so you're under their house, and you have to follow their rules. And so you honoring has a different application. It still means the same thing. I still have to honor my parents. It just looks different. That for me, it looks like, um, you know, going and visiting them and making sure that, you know, we still have a relationship or, uh, you know, honoring, in a sense, the family name in different ways like that. But So there's many applications to different people in different situations, and that's how God speaks through it. But there's only one truth, and the truth is that if we honor our mother and our father and we bring, uh, we bring them respect and we bring them honor and glory through our lives and the way that we live, whether it's being obedient to them or whatever it might be, then there is a blessing to follow. And so that's the un, unchanging truth, but it, it looks different. So there's no private interpretation that you can't go in your room at, at night and say, this is what the Bible means to me. No, this is what the Bible means, and so this is how it applies to me. Does that make sense? Super important. Uh, but the, the reality is that, that the scripture, yes, it was written by men. It was penned down by men, but God says that he used the Holy Spirit to move through them. That they were simply the vessel, but God was the inspiration behind the whole thing. But something I just want get, to get to know, because we're talking about the Bible, the Bible is not something we are to worship. It's not. That we, we shouldn't um, set it upon an altar and, and bow down to the Bible. And I know you might think, well, yeah, of course not. But the, it's, it's important to note that, that the Bible has a high place in our life, and it should. And God would even say that, that he exalts it above his own name, meaning above his own fame, that he cares about his word. But remember that this just points us to God, that we come to it, but it should always be a springboard off that we can jump from and, and get to God and hear from him. That we aren't to worship the word, but we are to worship the God of the word. Does that make sense? Super, super important to know. And number two, uh, the Spirit brings it to life. That God used people to pin it down and, and the Holy Spirit you, uh, uh, moves through them as a vessel. But the Spirit is the one who brings the scriptures to life. That if someone were to come and read God's word and, re and would reject God and want not any uh, place with him and they were to come to his word, it might be very confusing. It might be a place of, uh, maybe they wouldn't, they wouldn't get it or they wouldn't understand, but it's the Spirit who brings understanding or illumination, that the Spirit makes it make sense. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 27 says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just at, at, 
as it has taught you, you will abide in him. You see, not that we don't need to be taught by other people, but that the same Holy Spirit that, that lives in me and as I come to the Bible and am able to understand it, you, however old you are, you're able to come to it and God will show things to you. He will reveal himself through the scriptures and he'll make it almost come alive. That when you come to the Bible and you say, God, I wanna hear from you today. I wanna know what you want from me. God, direct my life, lead my life. How does he do that through his word? It's awesome that you come to it and you could read just Matthew chapter two or whatever it might be that you're reading. And you could pray that prayer. And as you go, it'll be like the, the words will pop out of the page. Have you guys ever gone to like a 3D movie? Right, and it's like the, the arms like coming out and, and it seems so realistic that this, this once Bible, which just seemed like a book on the shelf, will be something so much more. That God will use it in your life to speak in specific ways saying, hey, let's not do that anymore. Or let's, let's do that. Or, hey, the relationship that you have with your mom, you're not, you're not honoring them in that way. And God will speak through it through the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. Um, have you guys ever seen the, like, the floppy balloon guys outside like a car dealership? Right? And they're, you know, they're, they're waving and going like that. Have you ever, have you ever seen them when, they're, when they don't have any air flowing through them? They're kind of just on the side, right? There's, there's not, nothing great about it. But when you come to God's word, it's the spirit that brings understanding. It, it, bring, it breathes, just like in that floppy guy, right? That, that the, so, the source is all the air pumping into, and that's why it can have that much life. And so we know that the Bible is alive. It's alive. Number three, uh, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it's a very uh, famous verse. It's popular, but the truths in it are incredible. For the Lord... For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's alive. The Bible is alive, but it's through the Holy Spirit that it's alive. That it's not this particular Bible that's, that has life, but it's, it's the words as, as the Holy Spirit uses it. You might be like, what do you mean? What do you mean it has life? Like, is like does it have a heartbeat? It's like, doo-doo. No, right? It's not that it has a heartbeat. It says it's living and powerful, that it's effective or producing, that it's able to produce effective results within our lives. So does that mean if it's powerful, does that mean we can like plug a charger into it and, and charge our phones off of it? No. So what does it mean? Well, look at the rest of the verse. He says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Not that it is a sword, but that it's sharper. What does sharper mean? It means it cuts better that it's sharper than any sword that could go through flesh, that the Bible could come into your life and it'll hit you directly in your very soul, that it's able to get deep and cut sharper and God is able to speak to you in a way, not just to your physical mind, but through your, to your spirit. And he's able to wake you up and, and, and speak to you in that way and he uses his word to do that. Now, I mean, think about it. Think about a regular book. Maybe you guys have had to read different books for um, school and read different novels or you've had to go through different textbooks. Maybe those different books have impacted you, but they've never been able to discern, discern you, meaning that it's never been able to expose you. And, and when we come to God's word, that you almost feel like you need to cover up because it exposes your life. That the things that, that, you, that no one else knows, God knows. God does know and he, and he, and he desires to use your wor- his word to speak into your life in those things. There's nothing hidden from God. 
And God's word is an exposing force and it's a powerful force that it's able to get deep into the deep things of our lives. That it's not just surface level. That God wants to get into your soul and, and, and speak to you in that way. And so we know that it's, it's alive. But we also know, number four, that it accomplishes. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 says this. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, this verse is very similar to the one we just read, that it's powerful, that it's able to have a producing result in your life. We're gonna see in a second that it has, it has a changing power. But really, that God's, that God's word, whether we come to church and we read it or it's read uh, in the quietness of your, of your house, that it has the power to do, do amazing things within your heart. I mean, think about the power of God's word. Genesis chapter one, right? How did God create everything? He just simply spoke. He just said it and it, and it came that he said, let there be light and there was light. He said, he said, let these animals come from each from their kind and they were there. Or about the, uh, the book of Revelation, when Jesus comes back, it says that Jesus will simply speak a word and nations will be done for. That he'll speak a word, and it's amazing that the power within God's word, it'll do exactly what he wants. We never have to worry about that. And number five, that the power, it's, it's changing power. Psalm chapter 119, verse 9 through 11 says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed or obeying your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And we saw this verse earlier. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That I can tell you from personal experience that this, that the words on these pages as I've read them, as, as the Holy Spirit has done this work in my life, it's changed me. That they're things that I used to do. But God's changed me. And how does he do that? He changes through his word. I don't know how it happens. I really don't know. I, there's no science behind it. But I know what the Bible says. And the Bible says as I come to him in prayer and as I come to him and, and I'm willing to read his word, that he's able to transform my life. And things that I, I want to do, that, that through his word and through his spirit, I'm able to do. And the things that I don't want to do, he gives me power to change. That's something that only God can do. That there can be someone who's addicted to all kinds of different things, whether it's drugs or alcohol, and God can change their life in amazing ways. Or maybe it's someone who's just down and depressed, and God can lift them up. He does that through his word. And number six, uh, it produces faith. Romans 10, 17, we just got two more, says this. It says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you struggle in your faith? Maybe even with the Bible. Do you struggle that, man, I'm not sure if this is actually trustworthy. I'm not sure if God really loves me or he really cares for me, for me like people say that he does. I have a hard time believing that Jesus actually raised from the dead. Do you, have, do you struggle in your faith? When you read God's word, it produces not only a saving faith, meaning that as we hear God's word, that we're able to, to be saved unto, sal, unto uh, salvation and to, and to heaven, but also a daily faith, that as we invest more and more into the Bible, our faith will grow strong and deep. You see, if, if you are struggling in your faith, you read more Bible and your faith will become stronger. That if you come to it with an openness and, and your whole heart, God will give you the faith necessary. And number seven, it lasts forever. Isaiah chapter 40, verse eight says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
that nothing will ever come against God's word, that there won't be any scientific discovery or anything like that that will come against God's word, that it will last, that the things that are told in this book, all the different prophecies about how the world will end and the rapture will happen and Jesus will come back, all those things will be fulfilled. It is a guarantee. And nothing will pass away until that time. Matthew chapter five, verse 18 says, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all was fulfilled. If you notice, you're like, what the heck? What is a jot? What is a tittle? This is weird. What do you mean it's not gonna pass away? It talks about the smallest of commas within God's word. Every T, that is, every T will be crossed and every I will be dotted till all is fulfilled. And we can trust that it lasts forever. It's something that is enduring. And so what does this mean for us? What, what is this, why are we going through this whole thing today? Why, why was I sharing these different scriptures with you and showing how we can trust the word? What does it matter? Well, when you come here to this place, uh, in those chairs, I'm always gonna give you the Bible. That though there are a lot of good books that people have written, though there are a lot of good articles and research that has been done, what I'm gonna give you is God's word because this is what changes people. This is what will change you. This is what will uh, give you faith when you, when you are lacking. This is what will give you encouragement when you're down. That this, is the, this is for whatever reason, we don't know why, but this is what God has chosen to communicate you to through, that this is his vessel, this is his chosen way of getting to you. And so if you're willing, God will do amazing things as you come. And so um, I just wanna give you a little bit of homework, okay? I know you're like, oh, it's summer, I don't want homework. This is good homework, this is Jesus' homework. It's Psalm 119. That's the longest chapter in the Bible, which is, might sound scary, but it's not, it's, it's awesome. There's, there is a lot of verses, but I just wanna encourage you, just over the next week, when you when you wake up in the morning, before you go eat breakfast, you can eat breakfast while you do it, that's fine. But before you go off to your day and do whatever fun kind of summer events that you have, spend a little time with God and go through Psalm 119. You might, well, why, why Psalm 119? Well, it's all about God's word. There's all these different phrases that you'll see. You'll say laws and precepts and commandments and statutes, and you're like, what is all this about? Each one of those words, when it says commands or statutes in Psalm 119, is talking about, you can just replace the word Bible or uh, his word. That is all talking about his word. And, and it, I promise you if, you, if you take time to invest in it, um, it'll be something very special to you. So just as we close, I just wanna share with you one verse, worship to you, and you guys can come out. Psalm 119, verse 162. It says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. And I can tell you guys, I've been in your spot before. I've been in junior high. I've sat in the chairs you have sat in a long time ago, but I remember not really realizing what kind of treasure this was. That this is more important than any phone or any video game or any success that you might get in life, that this is the most important thing, not because we're to worship it, but because it points us to the Lord. And for so long, I didn't realize how important this was, and it wasn't something that I treasured. But I hope for you guys, I've quickly definitely have come to that conclusion that this is so important because we get to know who God is through this. We get to be spoken to from him. That's awesome. And so, uh, Lord, we just come before you and so on this Father's Day, we, we do give you just our thanksgiving that you desire a relationship with us. We do thank you, Lord, that you've 
given us, Lord, a word, not with all these contradictions so we don't know how to trust it, but, Lord, that we can trust it. And we can trust, Lord, every word, every and and of and I and thus, every verse, the ones that maybe are, that we could put on a, a nice notebook or wear on a t-shirt, or those ones and even the ones that might seem hard to understand. We thank you for all of them because we know that through your word that you change us and you make us more like you. And so, God, we just ask that we, true, we too would treasure your word, Lord, and we would rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.